we've seen how Jesus has returned, the King has come. And that right there, that's a, that's a man by the name of Rick Hauke. He is the, uh, one of the instructors at West Coast Baptist College, and they are actually in Israel right now. And if you would like to follow, they, they're doing videos at the different sites that they're at. And if you follow uh, Paul Chapel, who is the pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church there, you can either just go to his website or follow him on social media. All the different stops they go to, they'll do little videos like that, sort of explaining what happened there, what's going to happen there. But that video to me, that's what we've been talking about. We talked last week, we finished with Jesus coming back, the battle of Armageddon and it being over. And right behind him was the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus will plant his feet. He will walk across the Kidron Valley. He will enter the Temple Mount and he will set up the millennial reign of Christ. You see, this is what's been talked about for so long. On that Mount of Olives, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus was standing with his disciples and they asked him a question. They said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? This is the last recorded question we have that Jesus was asked. And here's what the question is. Is it time to set up your kingdom? Are you setting up your kingdom now? Well, Jesus didn't set up his kingdom then. He has waited. The church age has gone on. And we've been studying in Revelation the seven years of tribulation. See, the tribulation with the sealed trumpet and bold judgments is over at this point in Revelation chapter 20. Israel has experienced a great revival. Many have been saved. We saw the two witnesses. The Antichrist and false prophet have risen to power and have been dethroned and defeated and we read last week, cast into the lake of fire. The battle of Armageddon has taken place. And we finished last week with Jesus returning. Now when we start in Revelation chapter 20, the first point we'll see is Satan's penalty. Look at verse number 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. The first thing that the king does as he returns to this earth is he takes care of the chief rebel. He takes care of the one that has been battling against him all this time. Think about the last, one of the last times he was... In Israel, Jesus walking there, Satan had him walk to a cross. That was what Satan thought would bring victory for him, but we know the reason Jesus came to a cross was to bring victory to us. He will take care of the God of this world, which 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls him. Ephesians 2, 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. We see in verse number 2 the description of him, the dragon. That is the name that we have seen associated with Satan throughout the book of Revelation, referencing the fact of his ferociousness. Twelve times we see him referred to as dragon. Then the next name you see that old serpent. Serpent. Remember in Genesis chapter number three, the very first time we see Satan? It's the serpent in the Garden of Eden. 
that's talking to Eve and saying, hey, God didn't really say that. I don't think that's what he meant. Look at the fruit. It's good to look upon. Why, why don't you take some? The serpent. It mentions next right here, which is the devil. Devil means slanderer. Remember what Satan is doing right now. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is in heaven right now accusing us of sin. And as we've talked about before, he doesn't have to make things up to accuse us of. We all fall into sin. And then the last name, and Satan. Satan is used 53 times in Scripture. The idea behind this is adversary. He is God's adversary. He is the one that went against God. And remember in heaven, the book of Isaiah tells us, he said, I will be like him. I will assent. God cast him out. And here in the first part of Revelation chapter number 20, he is placed into the bottomless pit. That's what it says right here. Now, what exactly does that mean? I, I, I don't know. It seems to say it's a, it's a pit that he will be placed in that does not have a, a bottom to it. I mean, that, that's, that, where is that at? I have no idea. But he will be banished somewhere for a thousand years. Which when he is banished, what that will set up on this earth is what is commonly referred to as the millennial reign of Christ. The millennial reign. We see that in verse number 4. It says, And I saw a throne, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, this is a controversial subject I want to bring up right now. Christmas music. Now, here's the controversy. When is it okay to play Christmas music? All right, I, I, this is, this is, many people will disagree, and hopefully we can have a civil conversation about that today. Is anybody at this point playing any type of Christmas music? Okay, all right, we've, we've got a few in the back, all right. Some of the guys in the back are awake back there, so that's good. All right, they're, 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 some are playing Christmas music already. Let me ask you, is it okay to play Christmas music before Thanksgiving? This is, that seems to be the point where people begin to get argumentative on that. Um, how many of you will play Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Before Thanksgiving? Okay. How many of you are hardline on this? And there will be no Christmas music in your house, in your vehicle, and you don't want to hear it at all. If a store is playing it, you are just not going to that store until the day after Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving. Anybody like that? It's got to be. Oh, so we got, oh, wow, there's more of you than I thought. Just sticking to that day after Thanksgiving. I, I love the Christmas songs. I mean, there's just something special about him. Now, I got to say, the Christmas songs are a little bit different when you're playing them here in California, um, the, 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 the white Christmas, the thinking of all, it doesn't really have the same connotation here because we, we don't have that, but it's still, it's something fun about it, the Christmas music. I, I'm, one of the most famous Christmas songs, I'm going to read you the lyrics to this song, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. The, one of the next verses, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. I think the last verse says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. 
This is one of the most famous Christmas songs that there is. The only problem is it was not written about Christmas. I mean, think of the lyrics again to this. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. When Jesus came at Christmas time, did he begin to rule the world? He didn't take over the rule of the world at that time. When will he do that? In Revelation chapter 20. This is the author of this song. This is what he was writing about. But through history, it's been taken and again has become a very common Christmas song that we will sing every Christmas. But it's written about the second return of Jesus Christ. This is the reign of Christ. Now, when we talk about the millennial reign of Christ, I want to bring up, and I have a little bit of a chart there in your books, there are really three different, it mentions four, but really three different positions on the millennial reign of Christ. I'm just going to run through these, and then we'll talk about it. The, the first one, and maybe uh, one is known, is called post-millennialism. Here is the idea, Christ will return after the millennial reign. So after the millennium, which we're going to talk about, we're going to see the characteristics of that, Christ is going to return. This idea is that the things on this earth will keep getting better and better. It will become more like his kingdom until it is so good that he comes back. In the 18th and 19th centuries, this was a very popular concept. Think about what was going on in that time. It was a time of enlightenment, the industrial revolution, society was prospering, everything seemed to be getting better, but then you get to World War I the Great Depression, World War II. Since those events, the idea that most people looked at as the world is just going to keep getting better and better, they've changed their minds on that. To where most people today are not looking at our society and say, look how much better society is getting. Most people don't look at it that way. Because we see that it seems to be getting worse and worse. But for somebody that believes post-millennialism, they believe that he is coming back after the millennial reign, and when he comes back, everything will be good. There's another one, amillennialism, which that, the idea is we are in the millennial reign of Christ right now. Now again, when we look at the description of the millennial reign of Christ, I don't believe we're in that time period right now. And the third is premillennialism. This is what it says, things will get worse, and then Christ will come back and usher in his kingdom. Now, why is this important? This goes into hermeneutics, the study of the Bible, how we study the Bible, how we look at the Bible. And we've talked about this already. We, as we've read the book of Revelation, have taken the literal approach to Scripture. So when we read it, if we can take it literally, we are going to take it's literally going to happen. Remember, we talked about how many witnesses will there be. Well, the Bible says two, so we're going to believe there's two. It talked about the 144,000. We believe it's going to be 144,000. It said there'll be 12, there'll be Jewish males, because that's what it said, 12,000 from each tribe. We just believe because God's word says it, we're going to believe exactly what it says. We're not going to make it into an allegory. Now, are there allegories in scripture? Absolutely. Uh, I was doing chapel a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were looking at the book of John, John chapter number 10, and Jesus said this, I am the door. Now, did he mean he was a literal door? Well, no. We can read that and we can see that he's not saying that he's a literal door. He was using that as a word picture. 
So there definitely are times where there are allegories in the Bible, but if we can take it literally, we're going to take it literally. So go back to how we've studied the book of Revelation so far. Does this describe a time when the world is getting better and better? It's getting worse and worse. I mean, we've seen all of these judgments that have gone on. We've seen the people turn against God. We've seen all this. So for me, I believe in the premillennial reign of Jesus Christ. That, that, that's what I believe. That Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up his key. Before the millennium, he is going to come back to this earth. And even if we just take this book of Revelation, remember what we just read, Revelation chapter 19. What happens in Revelation chapter 19? Jesus comes back. What is the very next chapter? Revelation 20, when he's setting up the millennial reign. That, that, that's what I believe. And again, I, I, I like, um, we, we talked about Faith Bible Institute on Sunday. A, a, a great, great course. And I, I would highly recommend anybody to, to take it that you just want a little bit more knowledge about the Bible. John Yates is the pastor that teaches this. And he makes a statement several times throughout the course. When the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. Sometimes I think we try to make things more difficult to understand than what they need to be. We can just read it and trust what God is saying. Because the danger in trying to make everything into, well, that's what the Bible says, but I don't think that's what it means. Here's the danger. Now I get to choose what the Bible says. And if there's a part of the Bible I don't really like, I can sort of leave that out. Well, it doesn't really mean that. We, again, I believe the best approach as we study God's word is to take it literally. If God said it, that's what he means. And to just have that approach. But, but that, that's a little bit about the millennial reign of Christ. Now let's look at what's going on during this time. The first point underneath there, we see the ruling saints. The ruling saints. We read a little bit about that in verse number four when it talks about, I saw the thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. We're going to see that Jesus is going to come back and he is going to be the ultimate ruler. That's what it said in Revelation 19, 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But during that millennial reign of Christ, he will have, verse number four mentions those that have died for their faith during the tribulation. Continues on verse five, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in this first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I believe that these are the saints of God. I believe these are the people that have come back with Jesus as the heavens open there in the valley of Megiddo and they've ridden down the white horses and now they're here on this earth and they are going to reign. The Bible talks about reigning. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 says this, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? 2 Timothy 2, 12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Here's what I believe. I believe that's us. Everyone in here who has trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior during that millennial reign of Christ, we will come back and we will help reign during that time. Now make no mistake, we are not in charge. That is Jesus. But we will be here. We will be helping reign during that. And then we see the conditions of the kingdom. The conditions of the kingdom. And the conditions of the kingdom are really unbelievable. The first thing it mentions 
is that there will be world peace. Isaiah 2.4 gives the idea of the swords will be beaten into plowshares. They will take all the weapons and they will destroy all of the weapons for farming equipment. Because there will be no need for, for weapons at that time. Now, isn't that a, a crazy concept to think about? I mean, could you imagine a president getting up today, somebody running for president and saying, here's what I want to do when I become president. All of our weapons we will destroy. We will get rid of all of them. I, I mean, I don't think anybody would vote for them. Because I think we would know what would happen the moment that all of our weapons are gone. There's going to be a lot of people that don't like us that are going to be coming over trying to uh, take over. But during the millennial reign of Christ, there won't need to be weapons because we won't have all of that fighting going on. There'll be a time of world peace. It'll be a time of joy, happiness, no more disabilities during this time. The Bible talks about that in Isaiah 50, or 35, verses 5 through 6. People will live longer during this time. Isaiah 65, verse 20 says that a 100-year-old person, if they were to die during this time, it would be as if they were a child. Now, isn't that different from today? Uh, knowing somebody, most of us, we, we know Dorothy Worthington. I, I believe she just turned 101 years old. That's unusual today. But what we're looking at during the millennial reign of Christ is that would be considered very, very young. People will live longer. The animal kingdom will be subdued. We see the lion, the lamb, the wolf, all, all of this will be together. See, this is the millennial reign of Christ. It will be good on this earth. But it is only going to last there for a thousand years because look at what happens in verse number seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So who are, again, I don't understand why Jesus does this. Just get rid of Satan, never have him come back, right? But it says that for a thousand years after this millennial reign is over, he will be loosed. And he will come, and a thousand years has not changed his goal. Right? I mean, parents, don't, haven't we done that before? Send our children to timeout, hoping that maybe that would change their behavior? This is a thousand year timeout he's been in. And it hasn't changed him one bit. He gets out and he still has the exact same goal. Now, who are these people that will be deceived, that will join him, that will fight against him? Here, it will not be those of us that have already been in heaven. See, we, we've, we've gone to heaven. We're not going to come back down and somehow lose our salvation down here. Here's what will happen. There will be people that have trusted in Jesus during that tribulation that will survive that tribulation. And they will come into the millennial reign of Christ. Those people that will come into the millennial reign of Christ will have children. Those children will then make the decisions, just like everybody has had to, to follow Christ or not. And think about the world at that time. What a perfect place it will be. But when we read this, this verse, it says that you can't even number the people that will go against them. I mean, sometimes we, and, and, and as parents, I, I, I do believe that we should do our very best to help our kids, to point our kids in the right direction. But we need to understand that the perfect environment does not mean that people will turn out perfect. But th that, that doesn't mean that. This is, this is a perfect environment that they're in. They don't have these problems. Many of the problems that we deal with today will not be there at that time. 
but they still will turn against God. They still will go away from him. Man, after a thousand years, he still hasn't changed. They will follow Satan. And look at what happens in verse number 9. And they went up to the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Again, I believe this beloved city is referring to Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of the heavens and devoured them. See, we see the release of Satan. Then we're going to see the destruction of Satan. The destruction of Satan. Just as in the battle of Armageddon, this is not really a battle that's going to take place. This is more of an execution. As the battle of Armageddon, Jesus spoke and it was over. Here it says that from heaven there will come fire and all of that army that Satan has amassed will be gone. And then verse number 10 tells us the final, the final thing that happens to Satan. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Think about this. Satan knows this. He knows this. He's heard this verse before. He knows what's going to happen. He will be destroyed. He will be taken care of. Satan's end is already known. So we've seen the penalty that Satan has had. The millennial reign has happened. And then we come to verse number 11, and we're going to be introduced to a courtroom. Look what it says in verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So we, these next few minutes here, these next few verses, are basically entering a courtroom. Just as, I don't know if any of you like watching those courtroom TV shows or different things like that, and you, you, you want to try to solve who did it, or maybe you thought at one point being an attorney would be fun, or a judge, or I, I don't know. But let's see the participants in this courtroom. The first participant we're going to see is the judge. The judge will be there. Who is the judge going to be? It's Jesus. Jesus is the judge. It mentions a great Great means it's over all other thrones. White, referencing the purity and holiness. The throne, referencing the judgment that will happen. And Jesus will be the one that is sitting on this throne. Psalm 9, 7 and 8 says this, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. John 5, 22 says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Verse 26 and 27, and he hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Jesus will be the one that is sitting on this throne. We see the judge, then we're going to see the defendant. Look at verse number 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Who are the defendants here? The unsaved people. See, the great white throne judgment, these, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will not stand in judgment on this day. We have already gone through the judgment of Christ, we've already gone through the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. That, that, that will not be going on. This will be those that have rejected Christ. 
Romans 8.1 talks about the fact that it won't be saved people there. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus said in John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. This will not be a judgment for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. But it will be for all that have not. Look at what it mentions right here. It talks about the fact that standing before him will be the small and great. The people that were famous during their lifetimes, the people that nobody knew during their lifetimes. You know, a great truth about God we find in Romans 2.11 where it says, for there is no respect of person with God. That's a, that's a great truth. Why? Because that, think about it. If, if people really read their Bible and understood their Bible, there would, be, there would be no racism. Because we'd realize the fact that we're all made exactly the same. God loves each one of us exactly the same. That's what the Bible teaches. Again, it is something shocking in history that you can go back in history and see people try to use the Bible to justify things like that, but that is not from God. God created everybody exactly the same, and there is no respect of persons with God. But that also comes to the judgment. You see, God does not change based on somebody's position, based on who they were. Everyone will stand here. And what are the accusations that are brought? The accusations are that the sinners have not received. It talks about books being open. Their names aren't written in the books. It talks about their, the books being open and seeing their works. Here's the problem when we see all of our works. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. There is nobody in this room today that can claim that they are not a sinner because you'd be lying, and that is a sin. We, we all are sinners. So what happens here? We're going to see the verdict. The verdict is guilty. Guilty. They, we will stand, they will stand guilty before God it continues on, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Why does man stand guilty before God? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, we are very good at looking at sin and looking at the differences in sin, but we're going to look at this chapter next week in Revelation chapter 21. But I want to read for you one verse. Revelation 21 in verse number 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters. You read this part, and you're like, yes, all of these people deserve judgment. And look at the next sin that's mentioned. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We all can feel good about murderers being punished. But when it comes to liars being punished, we want more of a lenient sentence on that one. Because we've all failed on that one. So what is this laying down for us? The fact that because of sin, 
those that have not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior will stand before him one day. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those that right now on this earth curse his name, those that deny his existence, those that want nothing to do with him, one day will realize who he is. And the Bible says on that day they will bow their knee and they will see that they have been wrong. But you see, at that point, it's too late. Because the verdict is guilty. The sentence is then handed out. And the sentence is found in verse number 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Whoever did not trust Jesus Christ as their Savior during their time on earth will be cast away from them. This is what's known as the great white throne judgment. You see, hell has not disappeared even though many in society have tried to make it disappear. Many different people today have talked about how hell is not really a real place. It's more of a figment of your imagination. But again, when we read God's word, how can one say that heaven is a real place and hell is not a real place? They both are described. They both are there. Now, I, I, I've just got to be honest with you. There's no part of me that enjoys talking about hell. I don't enjoy it. And here's the thing, if I could maybe take this out of there, I, I, I yeah, God, just, just, just get rid of people that don't believe in you, but, but don't, no judgment. I mean, that's just my own personal feelings, I guess, on it. But again, God's ways are higher than my ways. And his thoughts are higher than mine. And here's the thing, I can't change what he says. Because what he says is true, whether I really, really like it, like the idea of heaven, or whether I don't really like it as much. It's just as true. So when we think of heaven as a real place, and next week we'll look at Revelation 21 and 22, and it will give us descriptions of heaven, and we'll see what heaven will be like. We've got to understand that hell is a real place, even though people have not talked about it, maybe. They've tried to take it out. It still is real. Now, I, I think... It's, some people enjoy talking about hell. <laughs> Maybe we've, we've met those types of people, right? That, that they're, they're just excited about if you've done something wrong, that's where you're going. That, that, that's not the attitude we should have. Because this is a place of judgment that everyone that has not received Jesus will go. So what is the application that we can take from this passage today? The first thing is sin deserves hell. Sin deserves hell. That's what the Bible says in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. What is this death that is being referred to in Romans 6.23? Go back to uh, Revelation 20, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. What does it say there? This is the second death. This is the death that is being referred to in Romans 6.23. 
is the second death. See, it's appointed unto man once to die. All of us will die, whether we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior or not. We, we will die. Now, I know what we hope for, right? The rapture and Jesus comes back and takes us up to heaven. I, I'd be okay with that happening. But unless that happens, we will all taste death. But the second death is the one that separates those that have trusted Christ as Savior and those that have not. Now, I think most people can look at heinous crimes in history and we can, we can say, you know what, that person, that person deserves to be punished. We can look at somebody like Adolf Hitler and we can read about what he did and the atrocities that he committed and we can in our minds say, yes, he deserves to be punished. We can come to a verse like Revelation 21.8 and we can read through that first part of that verse and we can think about, yeah, those that are idolaters, those that are worshiping idols, yeah, they deserve to be punished. Those that are, are sexually immoral, yeah, they deserve to be punished. Those that are murderers, yeah, they deserve to be punished. But remember what that verse says. And all liars. You see, we all fall short. And because of our sin, each and every one of us deserve hell. But the great thing about that verse, and the great thing about the Bible, is that the verse doesn't stop there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, sin deserves hell, but Christ paid the price for your sin. Christ paid the price. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. That is why Jesus came and was born in a manger and lived a perfect life and walked those streets of Jerusalem and died on a cross and rose again because we each had sin and we could not pay the price for our sin and he knew that and so he came and paid the price for that sin. That is why when we read Revelation chapter 20 and we see those people standing before God at that moment, they didn't have to be there because he paid the price. Jesus did everything he could to make sure they did not go there. But they rejected him. They rejected the payment that was made. And I want to end tonight just with two questions. The first, do you know that? That sin deserves hell. And that Christ paid the price for our sins. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. We can know for sure we're going to heaven. Do you know that? Because if we die without knowing that, without knowing Him, we're standing there in Revelation chapter 20. We'll stand before him. And Jesus gave this account in Matthew chapter 7. When he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. You know what's being described here? What we're reading in Revelation chapter 20. 
They're standing before that great white throne and Jesus, the books have been open. It's been said, your name's not here and their defense is, but wait a minute. I went to church. Hey, I, I did a lot of good things with my life. I tried my best. And look at what Jesus' answer is. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7 to me is a sobering passage. Because there will be many people standing here in Revelation chapter number 20 that will feel as if, look at all that I did. But it doesn't matter. Because they didn't believe that Christ had paid the price for their sin. They never trusted in Him. You know what one of the biggest problems today is? People believe that Christ paid part of the price for our sin. Yeah, He he paid some. He put like a down payment on that. I've got to work off the rest of it. Right? Like like Jesus died, so, so heaven is in layaway. And I've just got to work off everything else. And then when I get to the end of my life, I'm going to see, did I do enough to, to get heaven to get it out of layaway? Right? Like that, that's, that's a lot of people's idea of how to get to heaven. But that is not the Bible's plan. That is not what Jesus set up. Listen, if we could get to heaven on our own, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to go through all of that if somehow me or you could work hard enough to get there? He wouldn't have had to die. He wouldn't have had to suffer through all that if we could do it. But see, he had to suffer through that because we can't. We can't get to heaven on our own. We can't be good enough to get there on our own. So he had to. So my question to you, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? I'll share with you, I believe I heard this from um, Tom Farrell. Maybe some of you remember Tom Farrell. He was here and preached for us a couple different times. Just a fantastic preacher, and, and he's gone home to be with the Lord. But, but he laid out the idea of framing your, salva- your testimony. And, and here's what he's sort of the idea behind it. Your testimony is, how do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? And here's what he said. He said you should have a where, a when, a who and a what. What did he mean by that? Where was it that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Like for you, where was that? I'll tell you where it was for me. It was 2711 South Capitol Avenue, Indianapolis, Indiana. That that was where I was at. Where was it for you? When? When did you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? Now, some people, like like Pastor, knows the exact date. I don't. I don't know the exact date. But I can tell you what was going on. I know it had to have been a Saturday because I just got back home from camp. I know that we went downstairs and doing what, you know, parents always do when you get back, right? They're asking you all these questions about the trip and what you did and all of this. And, and, and of course, I'm telling about all the fun things. And, And then I remember Dad sort of brought the conversation back and said, well, hey, did what did the pastor talk about when you were there? And I began to talk to my dad about the fact he talked about heaven. I grew up in church. I'd made a profession of faith when I was probably like four years old. But through hearing that, that preaching, I, I, I told my dad, I don't know for sure. That, that, that was the, the when, the who. 
Who was it that you were with when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Maybe for some of you, maybe there wasn't anybody else. But probably for a lot of us, there was somebody that was taking us through the Bible and showing us that. For me, it was my dad. He was there. And the what? What do I mean by that? What happened? What did you do? For me, I know I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Can you answer that in your life? The where, the when, the who, the what? Because that's how you can know for sure. Listen, for me, I have no idea when I'm going to die, but I do know exactly where I will be the moment I die. Why? Because I can answer those questions. And again, it's not based on what I've done, and none of that is based on what I've done. It's just based on the fact that I have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, I think some people, and I know many people, this was me at 10 years old. If you would have asked me before I went to camp, hey, do you, are, are you going to heaven? Well, yeah. How do you know that? Well, I, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. When did you do that? I don't really know. What did you say? Well, I don't know, but you know what? I, I know my parents said I prayed, but I, I didn't know that. Do you know that? See, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. And it's very important that you're sure of it. I, I hate traveling. Here's, here's the thing I hate about traveling. You ever get nervous you're going to forget something? Like, I've got to be honest with you. If I am going, and especially when we're like traveling overseas or something like that, I am checking like every five minutes my pocket to make sure my passport is there. Like, like, I just checked five minutes ago, and I haven't gotten out of the van at all or out of the car at all. I haven't gone anywhere. Like, there's nowhere that passport could go. But I'm still checking. I still want to make sure. Why? Because that's a big deal. And if I get to the airport and I don't have that passport, they're not going to say, well, you look like a nice guy. Go ahead. That's not going to work. So it's a big deal to me that I know for sure I have that passport. Can I express to you tonight that it is a much bigger deal that you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? It's a much bigger deal. You need to know that for sure. Do you know that for sure? And then I'll end with one more question. Do others know that? What do I mean by that? Are you telling other people about that? See, Revelation chapter 20, every single person that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior will stand there that day. What does that mean? Every person that I know right now that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior will be there. They'll stand before that great white throne judgment. They'll hear Jesus say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. And what does it say will happen? And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast in the lake of fire. I need to be about telling people about him. I need to make that a big part of my life. Not just something I invite a few people Easter Sunday and then I'll wait until next Easter to take care of that again. It's got to be a big part of my life. Why? Because if I really care about that person and I really believe the Bible, how could it not be a big part of my life? Listen, if I love that person, there's no way that I want to see them spend an eternity separated from God. Now, we know we can't make anybody get saved. We'll never argue anybody into salvation. We should never try to argue anybody into salvation. But we should at least tell them. We should at least try to share the gospel with them. Are we doing that? Revelation chapter number 20 lays out 
Satan's final punishment. You see, you realize hell was just created for him and those angels that came with him? All those people that are standing there in Revelation chapter 20, it, hell was not created for them. But they rejected. Because they rejected, they will spend eternity there. So the two questions I ask, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? If not, make sure of that. I read a conversation that somebody recorded of Muhammad Ali. He said this, the most important thing about your life is what's going to happen when you die. Are you going to heaven or hell? That's eternity. And then he said, it just scares me to think I'm going to die one day and go to hell. It scares me to think I'm going to die one day and go to hell. Nobody in this room has to die one day and go to hell. Tonight you can trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Tonight you can. And those of us that know that for sure, who are we praying about that they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior? Who are we actively trying to show the love of Christ to so that they'll realize who He is? That's got to be a part of our life. Because I don't want the people that I know to stand here at that great white throne judgment. I've got to tell them. I've got to pray for them. This is our time. Acts chapter number 1, we started out. Saw that video, the Mount of Olives in the background. The disciples are standing there with Jesus and said, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Revelation chapter 20 is when he sets it up. That's when he brings in the millennial reign. We need to make sure that we're prepared. Dear God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for all that you do. I thank you for your word. I thank you just for this opportunity we see of how you will rule and reign. And God, I thank you for the fact that we can know for sure we're on our way to heaven. Now I'm going to ask tonight just a little bit different. Everyone just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I, I just want to ask, do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? Can you frame your testimony? Do you know that? Not, have you told people that for 20 years, so it must be true by this point. No, no, do, do, do you really know that? And with nobody looking around, let me just ask, how many of you sitting here today would say, Mike, I, I, I am 100% sure that I'm on my way to heaven. There's no doubt in my mind, I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you just slip your hand up, slip it down? I, I'm 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you so much. Now let me ask a question. Nobody's looking around. Maybe you raised your hand and maybe you didn't. But if you're being honest, you don't know. You, you, you maybe have thought, but you really don't have that peace. You really don't know. But you'd like to. Is there anyone like that tonight? I really don't know that I'm on my way to heaven but I'd like to. Would you just slip your hand up? Slip it back down. I, I don't know, but I'd like to. Thank you. And then let me ask one more question. I was convicted this week of how much more I need to make sure that I'm telling people about Jesus. Because I don't want people to be there. I don't want the people in Banning and Beaumont that I come into contact with to one day stand at this great white throne judgment. 
Would anybody just today just pray with me that God would give us a burden for souls like never before? That God would give us the courage and the boldness to talk to people like never before? And that we could see our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our family members trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Anyone, just maybe slip your hand up and say, I just want to pray for that tonight. God, would you give me more of a burden for souls? Dear God, I pray be with these hands. I pray if there is one here that does not know you, that tonight they would talk to somebody before they leave the auditorium. And I pray for each one of us that know you. God, would you just give us the courage and boldness, give us the heart that you have, that you love people so much that your son came and died for them. Would you help us to love people that same way? God, we thank you that one day we will be with you, that one day we will not stand before this great white throne judgment because of what you have done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys again for being here tonight. Just a couple quick announcements. If you are a parent of a teenager, if you have a teenager, let me encourage you, go to the uh, Fellowship Hall. The teens are supposed to be coming up in just a minute. They're going to have a quick meeting about camp. Uh, we've got a couple different opportunities about for camp this year for the teens, so we want to make sure that you're aware of it and can plan accordingly. And uh, this way, here's what we can do. This, this is why we're doing this, parents. Because we can make, Nick's back there with the teenagers right now, and he can make the announcement and tell them everything about it but we know that you will get maybe 5% of what is said, all right? We, we know that some gets lost in translation there, so that's why we want to do this. That way you can make sure that you know exactly what the plans are for the summer. So that is for all of the, uh, all the parents of teenagers. You can head back there. And then, ladies, we've got the, uh, the baby shower uh, on Saturday for uh, Jessica, so you are all invited to that. It'll be right here at the Fellowship Hall at noon, and so we'll be looking forward to that. You guys have a great night, and we will see you again soon.